let me join. Can't drive a truck, but I'm willing to loin. Beautiful Teamsters, I love yous all. That's why I'm Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Antifada, episode 222. Wow, we really did it. We made it to that magic number. I'm here with Andy. Uh, the two of us here are with an excellent guest. You know him. You love him. He's the co-host, along with Tony Boswell, of Minion Death Cult. Of course, we are talking about Alexander Edwards. What's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, I'm not I'm not like a numerologist, and I'm just, you know, kind of an observer of this stuff, a, a layman. But I do think me being on episode 222 is somehow good for Robert Kennedy Jr., I think that's right. Yeah, we'll have to <clears throat> have you back for episode fourteen eighty eight. I think you would really love that one. <laughs> Maybe we can get him on for that one. Well, all four of us will do it. It'll be great. Uh, speaking of fascist signs and symbols, I just want to hold myself accountable for uh, the Dime Square episode <laughs> two weeks ago. We have never had so much hate uh, against an episode. I thought it was sounded fine, but I. I, I have heard your voices, and we will never talk about that <laughs> subject ever again. Um, and now we will talk about serious matters. Serious matters. Alexander, on top of being a uh, excellent podcaster, on top of being the guy who probably has the best handle in the entire world for why your boomer uncle has been destroyed by the internet, uh, is also, of course, a uh, rank-and-file uh, UPS driver with the Teamsters. So we're here mm -hmm. to talk a lot of shit. You know, to have a fun, have a good time, but also talk about the very serious matter of um, the tentative agreement that's coming down the pipe. Uh, Alexander, when do you guys vote on the TA for the, the big contract? Uh, I've been seeing we're going to be voting basically all of August. I think the num the date range I was seeing was like August 2nd to August Wow, 22nd. I'm not even Ooh. making that up. I think that was uh, the, the, those were the numbers I saw. All right, because I was like, you know, of my concerns, there's like you getting a good contract is in there, but maybe a little bit higher is to make sure that this podcast episode is relevant. Mm -hmm. So it will remain relevant even if you're listening to this in mid-August because the voting will be going on uh, for some time. So that's interesting. Uh, why did they push the vote so far out? Is that just what it takes to get like 35,000 350,000, I should say, uh, Teamsters together to vote on a contract? Yeah, I think so. That was the original reason for our July 5th deadline was because it takes weeks and weeks to not just to vote, but to like actually read through the language and parse through the language and maybe like make tweaks where stuff is too vague or uh, confusing, which it looks to me like they already need to do because reading parts of this tentative agreement uh, do not say what leadership is now saying that it says, which uh -huh. is not I'm not casting aspersions on leadership or think they're trying to get one over. They know that they know this better than we do because they negotiated it. But I just think, yeah, a lot of the not a lot. Some of the language is, is a little vague, so that might get tidied up or at least um, explained a little better. They've, they've done a good job of explaining some of uh, the more confusing parts, but we do have a webinar with Sean O'Brien wow. tomorrow, uh, Monday, July 31st. So that's the only possible way uh, that this episode could become stale is if O'Brien comes on YouTube tomorrow and contradicts everything I say <laughs> on this episode, uh, which I don't I don't think he'll he'll do. Well, did you vote for him? I mean, 
As, did I vote for O'Brien? Yeah, did you vote for O'Brien? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like, I like the guy. Okay, so so he has the right to do that now. You voted him as the person who can contradict you on this podcast. So if it shakes out that, that way, that's just how it is, right? Hey, so be it. Let's talk a little bit about the context of this, because I think that uh, this particular contract negotiation has been in people's minds, not just listeners of this podcast and people on the left in general or the labor left or whatever, but across the country because of what the ramifications of a UPS, uh, a strike against UPS would look like. To take it back just a little bit, as I understand it, a lot of the angst, which is to say a lot of the strike preparation, which is to say a lot of the leadership attempting to get a contract that will be voted for, that will be a positive thing for the, for the members, comes out of uh, really the last 20, 30 years, 40 years of uh, decline um, in the uh, logistics and uh, commodity moving industries uh the teamsters uh obviously having lost a lot of members and the leadership certainly under hoffa jr and others having been um very very shall we say sclerotic and uh the 2018 um contract i think is a really uh, important thing for people to understand when it comes to what the rank and file wants this time around they don't want to be fucked over one more time they want to trust that sean o'brien and company are going to bring new leadership so kind of bring us up to date here about what the context of this strike is for the teamsters and maybe more broadly what it is for the u.s economy sure um yeah, we've been gunning for this fight since at least 2018, and there's been reform groups within the Teamsters that have been attempting to push you know, previous leadership towards more militant and combative directions. Um, I'm referring to like TDU, Teamsters for a Democratic Union, and Teamsters United. Uh, and O'Brien's presidency is, you know, the the latest like culmination of that effort. Um, in 2018, like you said, we had Hoffa Jr. who uh, negotiated a pretty bad contract, and you know, like you said, this is after years of all like stag already stagnation within wages, especially mm -hmm. for part timers. Um, and he actually created what's called what was called a combo driving job, which is essentially a second tier, lower paid full time driver. Um, they're theoretically supposed to be part time driver, part time inside building employee. And that would combine to be a full time job. Uh, but they were paid like ten dollars less an hour. And this was Hoffa Jr.'s solution to mandatory overtime, mm -hmm. the massive amount of hours that all drivers have been working. Uh, and he was like, okay, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll invent cheaper labor. And, and that way the company will give that, that work to them instead. Everybody's happy. Right. And we said, mm -hmm. no, absolutely not. And we voted that contract down. Then they came back again with like a little bit of little tweaks here and there. Uh, but that, that 22, four combo job was still part of the contract. And so we voted it down again. Uh, but leadership was able to force it through because of a, part of teamster the teamsters internal co uh, constitution which said that if like it's it's a little complicated but if turnout was below 50% it would take a two thirds no vote mm. from the members to vote a contract down um, and so we had low turnout but we voted it down over 50% but because it didn't reach the tw the two thirds threshold like like we're trying to fucking I amend the constitution itself, you know, mm -hmm. like it's not, it's, it's not just a vote. It's like, I don't know, but, um, 
we got rid of that two thirds rule uh, in the 2021 Teamsters Conference. So uh, if leadership wants to force a contract through at this point that we don't want, I don't know how they would do it. Right. Um, there, that mechanism, that mechanism is gone, uh, which we're very happy to see. And so O'Brien came into this kind of knowing he had, um, he had some steam behind him, knowing that we were gunning for this fight, knowing that, uh, we were not just going to try to have a better contract, but actually claw back some of the givebacks and concessions that have been that have happened over the last uh you know decades of contracts and getting rid of the 22-4 job that I just described the combo driving job that was like I think the main goal of this contract in addition to also wage increases pension increases um you know getting trying to prevent harassment uh the 22-4 job getting rid of that was like the rallying cry for this contract mm. and we got rid of it. We got rid of it before we even started discussing, discussing, um, economic negotiations. Mm. We got rid of that just in like the first half of negotiations. Um, and that was, uh, you know, I was, I was happy to see that. I was really happy with that. Um, and now it's just with this tentative agreement. I mean, of course we're, you're, probably going to have questions about the, the particulars of the tentative agreement just and now it remains to be seen how much energy is left to tweak these raises for full-timers to tweak these raises for part-timers um to maybe even have stronger language against harassment it's mm. it's gonna yeah come down to what the membership how how far the membership wants to push past this point mm -hmm. what do you mean by harassment from like customers or just in the like at the job, uh, from management, oh, okay, harassment okay. from management. Yeah. Uh, that's a real just, problem. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is a problem. Uh, you know, uh, over, over supervising, you know, like we can't be disciplined based on our productivity. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's language in the contract that says everybody just, you have to work at a, at your own demonstrated pace. Right. So there's no like number that says you have to deliver this many stops per hour no or else or you anything. get disciplined. Yeah. Uh, yet, despite that language, management still threatens things like ride alongs or still, you know, will try to call you on your personal phone or try to threaten you with discipline in other areas. Um, it's it's not something I can speak to personally because I, I have a, a decent working relationship with my management team in my building. They just leave me the, the fuck alone, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do know other people get sort of like frivolous discipline that then gets tossed out later, but you still have to go through the process. So this is a way of them uh, basically like um, enforcing some sort of quota, even though quotas are not allowed in the contract. Yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah. Harassing members that they don't, that they don't like. Gotcha. And so did we already mention how you're going to vote on this proposal? Okay. No, we haven't. Okay. Um, I, I, I'll be voting. No. Um, I, I want to say like, there's, there's a lot of feelings about this contract from the, from the members and it's hard to get an actual snapshot. You're snapshot. You're just seeing what you, what people post online or what people say to you on the job. Um, but I, I don't, I think this is a very good contract. Uh, it's definitely the best contract or to, well, it's not a contract yet, but a tentative agreement. It's the best, like, tentative agreement contract that I've seen in my 17 years mm -hmm. as a UPS employee. 
Um, I just think it could be better. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there, there's potential uh, to get a lot more from the company after, yeah, record profits. And not to mention all of, and I've been following uh, not just you, but, but uh, other people, all the preparation that's been put into this strike, you know, the amazing uh, strike prep and practice striking, pack, uh, practice picket lines uh, that people have seen, the real sense that the, um, the, the rank and file is, uh, is organized and militant and ready to see this thing through. I have to imagine that scared the shit out of UPS after, I'm, I'm presuming 2018, uh, strike prep was much more pro forma, right? Yeah, we didn't do any strike prep in 2018. Mm. That was like never even presented as an option. Like we did, we did the um, the strike authorization vote in 2018 uh, for you know I think it was the same exact percentage, like 97 percent of rank and file voted to authorize a strike. Wow. But that that like I think like you implied is just a pro forma kind of like wrote. Uh, point uh, piece of negotiations uh we didn't do any practice picketing uh we did a lot of practice picketing this time we practice picketed like once or twice a week yeah. uh, across the country um and yeah i've seen part-timers really step up um because if there's one thing that i would criticize about the teamsters it's just how ignored part-timers are mm. um how how long they've been ignored and uh, they make up 60% of UPS's labor force. Wow. Part are, they're all part-time employees. Uh, 60% of them are part-time employees. And that, that labor is vital labor. That's all the warehouse labor. Mm. So now there are full-time employees inside warehouses, but those jobs are very few and far between. In fact, that's like another, uh, bone to pick bone of contention for this tentative agreement is that it doesn't create enough full-time inside jobs, Mm. uh, out of part-time jobs. But with that aside, yeah, 60% of all the warehouse labors, the people who load the trucks, people who unload the trucks, people who sort the packages, the people who load up the trailers, the people who load up the planes, all, all of that is part-time labor. And UPS has been getting a huge discount on that labor because in my opinion, previous Teamsters leadership has been able to throw all the part-timers under the bus uh, and sort of bribe full-timers with you know decent raises to vote yes on these contracts. And these part-timers, it's, they're, they're subjected to uh, what's called churn and burn mm. employment technique where uh, they just, they, they hire these you know, young people on, you know, and they're not all young, but they, a lot of them are young, hire them on and they just run them into the ground until mm. they quit for a better job. Right. 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 And that keeps their costs down. It, it helps, uh, part-timers stay disorganized. Um, so that's why it's, it's, they've been able to throw them under the bus because of how disorganized or the, the amount of rollover that happens with part-time. But I've seen a lot of part-timers, you know, long-time part-timers really, uh, step into that void left by the union in, in these previous contracts and do some do some really good organizing and spreading it, uh, information to their coworkers. And I and I will just say uh, that this leadership under O'Brien has fought for part timers way more than I've ever seen leadership do. I mean, when we walked away uh, or the last the last impasse we had in negotiations was on behalf of part-timers. The mm. rest of the tentative agreement had been decided on. And then uh, UPS said they had no more money for part-timers and O'Brien and uh, 
leadership, Zuckerman, they said, well, then we're not, we don't have, we have no deal. You need to come up with more money for part-timers or there's no deal. And I've never seen that happen with other leadership. So credit where credit is due on that front. It's pretty cool to see uh, a bit of fight back and a bit of uh, turnaround on this. I mean, I remember back in, uh, God, the, the old days of like the 2000s, picking up labor notes and uh, reading about how two-tier contracts, which had been started in, uh, in industry, you know, the UAW uh, and in, in other sort of like uh, food service. Uh, or yeah, like Kellogg's, had, Kellogg's one. had one as well. Um, how, how much of a death knell that was for any semblance of solidarity to have an entire swath of people often working in the same warehouse or same factory uh, who are uh, not full members, not making uh, full rate, and oftentimes without any ability to uh, to rise into the ranks of a full-time employee. That right there is corrosive, not just for those particular workers, but for the union itself and the union as a fightback organization. So it's really heartening to see. And in a sense, and me from the outside, it's very difficult, but it seems like just this this uh, tentative agreement and all the energy behind it is like the beginning of a larger fight back. Because if you can start to create the conditions where um, you know there starts to become more and more parity between the full-time and the part-time workers, where they have more and more of a, an ability to fight and have a say uh, and have a livelihood, that then you'll only be in a better position when the next contract comes up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's addictive. W- winning is addictive, mm-hmm. you know. And full time teamsters and UPS employees, even though like a lot of our wages haven't kept pace with inflation, and like what we would have been making back in the '80s relative to c- inflation is not what we're making now. Uh, drivers, by and large, still make a, a a pretty decent living wage. You know, I have a quality of life uh, that I never thought would be possible. Possible, Frank. Like I I own a house. Mm. You know. Um, so that's you, when, once you actually see the results, yeah, it does create engagement. It does. It, it's like a cliche to say, but you have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You have something to gain, not just something to lose, but something to gain. Um, and yeah, it, it could be, you know, I've, I've been saying this for the course of these negotiations, um, 60% of 340,000 people is a lot of people. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of part timers and that's so much organizing and labor muscle that we could have at our disposal if we were encouraging those workers to be part of the union. And I think you have to entice them. You have to, you have to make it worth their while because that's, you know, organizing, talking to your coworkers, that's all labor that people would have to do for free. And they would, they would have to, you know, well, it wouldn't be for free. You'd have to be getting something out of it. Mm-hmm. You should probably be honest with them that you own that house because you're a Twitch streamer now. Yeah. That's where that money came from. <laughs> but you don't want to give them false hope. Yeah, it's all from uh, YouTube clips that we upload to the <laughs> podcast. That's where our main source of revenue. To be fair, they're great clips. So, so, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of clips, um, there is a, another person who is not too happy about the contract, uh, Jim Kramer, who's looking pretty smooth these days. Smooth Kramer. Post-smooth uh, Kramer. So let's hear what he has to say. This is from CNBC. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 A little exaggeration. How about the way that UPS stock initially went up on that, on that deal? Yes. And then people see that maybe the Teamsters got the best of it. Although... It's a good thing for the U.S. economy that there is not going it, it, to be a UPS strike. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was very important for the U.S. I do want to know whether Ford is going to talk about whether there's a more of an issue with, with the UAW than Carol Tomei talked about being an issue with, with Teamsters. 
very important to watch that because because when you look at the way GM traded, it started going down when Mary Barra, the CEO, glossed over the union issue. That's a big mistake. Sean Fain reminds me of the 1930s UAW. Which- <laughs> we wish. <laughs> if Sean Fain becomes a Ruther brother, yeah. you know, then then we really got it. So Jim Cramer. Spartacist, so he knows a little bit of labor history. He knows a little bit of, do you know, do you know that, Alexander, that Jim Cramer was in the Spartacus League back in the 70s and 80s? No, I don't even know what the Spartacus League is. Oh, Very orthodox, no. Trotskyist, yeah. you know, hardline group. Yeah. Total psycho. Really? Well, I mean, we'll talk about, a- we can talk about World Socialist <laughs> website, too. Is another group that's, like, so, sort of Spart-related who has written uh, something critical of, the, of this deal. Spartacus are famously the ones, like, anybody who's spent any time on college campuses, if you have, like, some sort of like a meeting against the war or you have like some sort of conference about Marxism or whatever, a spart will like jump up in the middle of the meeting and denounce everybody for being insufficiently Trotskyist, I guess, or possibly talk about Michael Jackson and Roman Polanski. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. So So are they like the version of that? uh, What was that? Austin red? No, uh, no, they're not Maoists. They're not quite okay, that okay. hardcore. They're more hardcore ideologically than like, you know, they're not street fighting. Like they're the, like orthodox trots. So like they they like call out uh, campism and they call out like revisionism of the of the Bolshevik line and stuff like that. But and mostly, Jim Cramer was one. But these days there's, they're mostly. I think actually the Spartacists are over now um, because they're just they just got too old. But you, there are a lot of ex Spartacists like Jim Cramer who kind kind of like has a memory of their political indoctrination with that group, but like kind of mangles it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, do you, yeah. Do you think that we're headed towards a, like a, a 1930s era rebirth of the labor movement? Uh, it's, it's an exciting time to be part of the labor movement. Like I've never seen this much energy towards this. Yeah. In my 17 years of being a teamster, um, I, this contract, I don't, I don't know if this contract is going to be what kicks it off because um, we've already pushed past the deadline, or we will push past the original deadline for ratifying a new contract. Um, and I don't, I don't want to disappoint anybody or let anybody down. I appreciate all the support for the Teamsters, and um, this this contract is good. I just think it could be better, and I think it could be significantly better. Uh, but I do have to like maybe put some cold water on this. We've already given the company an extension mm-hmm. on the strike because originally it was going to be if we don't have a new contract by August 1st, we'll hit the streets. Um, that was why the original July 5th deadline was there so that we would have time to vote on whatever tentative agreement before the contract expired because – you know, in 2018 and previous contracts, uh, they've just the leadership was just giving contract extensions to UPS in order to hammer out the details or whatever. So like in 2018, we were working under an extension of the previous contract for like up to 12 months. Wow. I can't remember how how many months it was, but it was a long it was a long time. That, and so we all got like retro checks from right. back pay from what we would have been getting paid uh, at, at the point of the contract previous contract expiring. But um, we said we weren't going to do that, this contract, and we did it. And that's, I understand why you do it is to give the company an out, to give the company a way to like, quote, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And to also like, 
assuage our customers' fears of a strike. Mm-hmm. Because if there if there is a strike, you know, it it probably will be for a long-term benefit. But in the short term, you do lose customers. You mm-hmm. lose accounts, you lose work, people get laid off. It's a it's a chaotic time. It's it's it creates chaos where you can't predict what's going to happen. I, so I understand aver- aversion to strike and I understand wanting to give the company an out. Uh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no. I was just going to say, like, uh, we're talking about the difference between 2018 and today. And it's not just a subjective thing, right? There's also, like, objective conditions that are different now from back then. One of them, of course, is that uh, we've been in some sort of little mini strike wave thing for, like, over a year now at this point in time in the United States. You have seen a market increase in uh, in days lost to strikes. You've started to see, as, as you were pointing out with the part-time workers, some clawbacks uh, in a way that would be hard to imagine back in 2018 um, when the economy was in different shape and... Uh, when also like um, the great sort of concussive factor of uh, COVID and inflation and a tightening labor market meant that um, there were far less cards to play, right? I remember the lead up to the strike deadline uh, for UPS. One of the great things, and you maybe wouldn't have seen this if the economy hadn't been so weird and in some ways strong, um, uh, commentators and reporters were asking FedEx and uh, DHL and U.S. Postal Service, like, so if these Teamsters go out on strike, you guys got this, right? And FedEx is like, absolutely <laughs> not. We do not have the ability to like go in and replace all of what these Teamsters do, all these uh, UPS contracts. In fact, there will be a huge contraction uh, of, uh, of the economy at that point in time. And that, uh, that, that amount of leverage... Uh, that you have at this point leads me to believe again from the outside that like turning the screws a little bit more with the tentative agreement, uh, you know, could actually work this time. Oh, absolutely. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind we could get more out of the company um, without even having to strike by just continuing to threaten to strike. But if it came to an actual, but see, I don't even know how it would come to an actual strike because like I said, we've pushed past this August 1st deadline or we will be pushing past this August 1st deadline just to vote. So we'll be working all of August without a new contract. Um, But if it gets voted down, which is a real possibility, then what happens? Do we automatically hit the streets? Do we automatically trigger a strike? I, you know, maybe that's something that O'Brien talks about on tomorrow's webinar, Um, but they're, they're kind of pushing this con they 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 are proud of this tentative agreement that they've created so they're not trying to you know talk too much about what happens if it votes gets voted down i think um but i just i think it's chaos if we enter a point where we we would strike i don't it wouldn't be the same strike we would have on august 1st Mm, if that mm -hmm. makes sense i think the communication is going to be spotted we need to have like very good communication coming from the leadership as to what we will be doing if we vote down this this t- tentative agreement and we also need to have good communication coming from us to leadership yeah as in i voted no on this because of these reasons this is what members want you to to focus on getting more out of an a, a you know another tentative agreement so i don't know how those lines of communication are going to be established we might be voting online through the teamsters app that's how we've taken surveys about Mm. our contract priorities uh this this negotiations so maybe there's some sort of like if you voted no what's what's your issue type 
uh, field to enter on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I haven't seen that. <laughs> I haven't seen that option in previous contracts. Um, so I, I just, I, I don't know how, what, what is, I mean, you never know what a strike's going to look like, but even, even more so now, I wouldn't know what this strike would look like. I, I think like, uh, again, to broaden it out towards, um, you know, away from the specifics, which I think all of us have a handle on at this point in time and, uh, and a sense of where things are going to go for the next month or so, uh, with the voting of this tentative agreement, you know, we, can start to talk about things uh, as socialists or, you know, communists at this point in time. You know, what is it um, that we hope to see out of the strike politically arising? Mm. And there's an interesting, you know, dynamic at work here, which is that it was like an unparalleled multi-decade effort just to get uh, a a Sean uh, O'Brien type uh, leader in there uh, and to have the sort of energy and the sort of... um, I don't know, militant, self-organized aspect of this uh, strike activity even arise in the first place. And I guess the question we have to ask ourselves, because one contract or even one strike, of course, um, doesn't necessarily open pathways towards some sort of more radical uh, politics or radical self-organization. But maybe like thinking about all the work that you've done and other rank and filers have done and uh, reform caucuses within the union, do you... I guess it's more of a question than a comment. Do you think that the sort of self-organizing aspects that have been created in the course of the last couple of years or so could continue to the point where you could start to have some sort of like rank and file base that can start to put these demands towards the leadership about what should come out of a potential no vote on this tentative agreement? Do you feel as though like the Teamsters for a Democratic Union is... uh, is a, a body that is sufficient for this moment? Do you think that new sort of organizations and activist groups are going to come out within this? Will they be oriented towards politics and socialism or will they be uh, more economistic? Like where do you see the energy of this um, strike preparation going? Yeah, I was curious about TDU's official stance on this tentative agreement and their role right now isn't doesn't seem to be to endorse or not endorse this tentative agreement they they're distributing really good information and like breakdowns of what the specific numbers mean and they're encouraging you know everybody to vote you know vote how you feel or or whatever uh they don't seem to be pushing against leadership as sort of like a separate body within the teamsters Mm. in this moment they seem more to be at a supportive role of the overall Teamsters organization. So that was interesting for me to see that you, you weren't, I didn't see a vote no campaign Mm -hmm. coming from TDU, nor did I see like a a full throated endorsement. Um, Yeah, I believe, I believe, you know, any, anybody who works at a union job getting more involved, like that's obviously the way change happens. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really have a, a very what's what's the word like detailed politics or cultivated politics. I'm just like a vague communist, <laughs> vague leftist. Um, but I I think organization, you know, teaching these skills to people to be able to, you know, talk about to like have an alternative to the culture war yes. that we're all consumed with is so healthy 
the one that you're class. you're consumed in every single week. <laughs> Minion yeah, death that's cult. how I, that's just the uh, pressure valve for my culture war proclivities <laughs> is is Minion Death Cult. Hell yeah. Uh, What's well, been um, really interesting hearing you talk about this process is like you're you're not coming at this for like a purely uh, you're not like a teamster cheerleader like you've been very critical of how this has gone in the past and you've although you're optimistic about the you know how this has gone you you always said like if this isn't if this is if he betrays us I'll be the first to say it and I'll be the first to uh, fight back against it but it seems like um, and, and there's probably a lot of cynicism, obviously there's a lot of cynicism amongst the rank and file and so part of what they're doing is not only like trying to get a good contract with the company but trying to temper the cynicism of the rank and file mm. and even though you're voting no it seems like you're they've mostly won you over that you're not opposing leadership at this point. is it like the big advancement here that the, the pre-pickets the fact that there was not like because there's, there's usually this negotiation process where they come and they say, like, well, the company won't budge, so we're going to have to temper expectations. But instead of doing that, like, it was everything was ramped up to the point where people were clearly ready to strike, and the company saw that. So a lot of that stuff that would have been won in the strike was won before the strike. Mm. Was that the sort of big tactical advancement here? Um, I think it was, it was definitely that. I mean, that's that was really cool to see it made it made it feel like there was a possibility of strike that he wasn't just like blowing steam up our asses and the company's asses but yeah i think walking away from negotiations on behalf of part-timers was the most radical thing i Mm. saw from i don't know if radical is the right word but was the most combative thing i saw from this leadership that i that i haven't seen in previous leadership and watching them do that uh, gave me gave them like a lot of goodwill from from my part. Now I, I think they could have done better, and I think we we can still do better. But I I feel like they are operating in good faith, and they do feel like this is you know the best tentative agreement that maybe they felt the rank and file would fight for, and maybe they misjudged that. Maybe they misjudged how willing the rank and file will be to fight for this contract. And I feel like that could be an honest mistake to, to make. Um, but we'll see that in the, in the vote, we'll see that whether there's a no vote or not. Um, and I, this, uh, this administration has also been pretty transparent, like far more transparent and communicative Mm. than previous. Like we didn't have webinars, in 20 mm-hmm. or if we did i never heard about them we didn't have surveys that we could complete about our priorities or you know maybe there was a paper there were paper slips going around that i that, that i never nobody saw. paid attention to uh, yeah. but like the 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 teamsters app which we have now which is where they're disseminating information and which is where we're voting on uh they're taking surveys on what we want that's all a new innovation and it just you know it kind of, it kind of points towards a leadership that is far more receptive to its rank and file and far more dem- democratic in nature. So all, all of that uh, le- leads me to like, we might have differences on policy or differences on what's achievable, but like the, the integrity is in my mind, uh, it's not really up for question. Mm. The um, this master agreement is for um 35, <clears throat> was it 340,000 uh, members, which, as you said, 60% of those are part-timers, which is a lot of people, obviously, a lot of workers in any economy, a lot of workers in the American economy. Um, the broader industry or the sector, let's say, 
is uh, probably majority non-union, I would think, because uh, UPS exists alongside FedEx uh, and the workers there at FedEx, as I understand it, are kind of free riding off the UPS contract. Like whatever it is you guys get uh, through your union negotiations, they get some like percentage of that for themselves and they kind of follow their... uh, follow the your contract there's the u.s postal service of course which has uh a different union uh and they're organized but they've been taking all sorts of political hits for decades at this point in time and then there's of course uh the growing part of the sector which is uh let's say amazon right amazon just a few years back uh put together their entire own delivery service uh meant to compete with ups and fedex or whatever so in terms of the larger industry like what does this look like do you are the hopes that your um presumed win here because it seems like whether you whether the the vote is yes or no on this tentative agreement whether or not there's a strike or not that there will be for all the reasons you said like a real victory coming out of this thing what do you hope to see for the rest of the industry and how do you think that this could uh dovetail with uh, teamster leadership's um explicit promise uh, to use the momentum coming out of this contract negotiation to start organizing, say, Amazon workers? It's a it's a really good question because, yeah, that has been a stated goal of O'Brien and this leadership was to use this contract as a as like a what's what's the phrase like a, a demonstration of what you can what you can get or a um, thin red wedge. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, for organizing Amazon. The thing is, is like Amazon. Now we they have organized Teamsters has organized drivers in on the West Coast in California, and they're currently on strike. Mm. Uh, but it's it's like a handful of buildings. Um, you know, Amazon drivers are classified as independent contractors. So the organizing the drivers like legally classified as independent contractors. It right. seems like you would have to change the whole structure, you know, of like that state's legislation to, to get that. But, you know, I could be wrong. Um, but if you're talking about organizing like Amazon employees inside the warehouse, I do think you need a slightly stronger contract than what we're seeing now. Mm. Um, because so what part-time wages have been raised to with this tentative agreement is it's kind of like a baseline of $21 an hour. That's going to be the new, starting wage all previous uh or like all existing part-time employees will be raised up to $21 when this contract or if this contract gets ratified and then over the course of the contract all pre-existing part-time employees will make at least 2575 mm. an hour by the end of this contract so that's what 2028 um and that's I, a substantial increase from what they've been making before yeah, so the st- previous starting pay was fifteen fifty. So um, it's it's a it's a really decent bump, but it's not like a, it's still not like a living wage. Yeah. Um, and I think Amazon makes something comparable to twenty five dollars an hour. Like Amazon part time workers already make something comparable to twenty five or twenty one dollars an hour. Now, part time Teamsters get really good benefits. They get the health health care benefits and vacation benefits, uh, sick days, things like that. But I don't I don't know what your like what your argument is if you're saying, well, we got our employees this and you kind of already make that. 
Yeah, fair enough. I, I, it's interesting. I mean, I assume they've got a plan, right? They have to have a plan. And there's uh, the uh, Amazon labor union seems to have hit the rocks lately. Uh, those people, are, of course, are within the large uh, transfer centers and the warehouses. I wonder, and I'm actually slightly optimistic about what uh, the possibilities might be. Uh, might be after after the dust has settled on this whole thing because let's not forget too that even outside of that sector or it's hard to even <clears throat> say that auto manufacturing is outside of the sector let's just say like parallel to that sector because a lot of you know like uh, dyed and dyed tools and parts from the auto industry are transported by UPS right and other mm. large carriers like that September 14th is the uh, strike deadline for the uh, United Auto Workers, right? Which Jim Cramer, Comrade Cramer, talked about in that little short clip right there. So it feels like this summer of strikes is kind of continuing. Whatever happens with, uh, with your particular contract, you have like another deadline coming up. And so I wonder uh, if this momentum remains. I suspect it will, if only because of, again, those objective conditions. The fact that somehow uh, along... Over the last uh, couple of years or so, we've managed to retain a really, really tight labor market, which means a lot of people are being hired. We can talk about the reasons why that is. Uh, a lot of it, I think, is boomers sort of attritioning out of the, the labor force. Mm. But it feels like we're going to hopefully take this momentum from the Teamster strike and, and move it uh, through the rest of this year and into next. Yeah, I do want to say, like, you know, apart from the details of the contract or trying to use it as an actual mechanism to do a specific thing like organize Amazon. Apart from that, yeah, I think this moment has been really inspiring for a lot of people, including myself. Um, and just seeing like a union flex on a billion dollar company mm -hmm. is so cool. It's so awesome. And it, it's, it, it's O'Brien like made no uh, bones about what he was doing, which was, talking shit to UPS every <laughs> single day and threatening them every single day. And a lot of people had criticisms, not a lot of break and file members, but just media people or political figures had criticisms about what a bully he was being, <laughs> uh, this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, look, you know, look what happens. Like there is an actual power in what we have. You just have to have the guts to use it. That's right. You know? And, and I feel like that is a very inspiring story for a lot of people because we did, I mean, regardless of how you feel about, and this is kind of what TDU is, is highlighting. And I agree with it, regardless of how you feel about the particulars of this contract, there's no question that this, this tentative agreement would have been worse if we didn't have combative leadership in the That's roles right. they're in. Like if we had had Hoffa Jr. in there now, this con this tentative agreement would be way worse. So the demonstration effect could potentially be huge. And I think it will be. I honestly do. And I think that like it's contingent on all of us here on like the broader left to think about the dynamics that made this entire thing possible. And those dynamics, people want to talk about leadership. They want to talk about O'Brien. They want to talk about Fain over in the United Auto Workers. But let's not forget like the decades upon decades of organizing that it took in order to even get these sort of more combatant reform elements uh, in charge in the first place. And, of course, the signal that it sends to capital when you have a 97, 98% uh, strike authorization vote, which we've seen not just with you guys and the Teamsters, but across the board for years now at this point in time. It seems like 
the working class in this country, the organized working class, the us like 6% of people out there, uh, really are ready to throw the fuck down. And, and hopefully that's contagious. And the mood in the rank and file that leads to a more militant leadership. Um, the, mm-hmm. the fact that they do have to, like, no matter what the leadership really wants or, you know, the fact that they do have to uh, win over people like Alexander. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to um, wait. I almost forgot. I think I did forget what I was going to say. Um, yeah. It's well, gone that's now. Right. That, I remember. Well, I want to maybe we can transition to a, a little bonus thing, but I want to ask another question maybe to cap it off is that, you know, obviously I was looking at this stuff from the left perspective from like what you know, labor notes. Twitter is saying, do, do your fellow workers know or care about the, the uh, enthusiasm about the strike amongst leftists? Uh, teams, people in the Teamsters are definitely aware of the enthusiasm from outside organizations. We've had other, you know, requests from like left groups in Seattle. I've had requests from left groups in Seattle about how they can support us or Mm -hmm. what they can do. Um, that's, that stuff is great. I don't know about the regular, like most of the organizing being done, I think is by, uh, self-conscious leftists. Like, it, it, you know, even if they keep that stuff close to the vest when you're just talking to your coworkers, I think most of them are like working class organizers, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what denomination they are, they're they're aware of class politics. And it, that's one of the reasons that they that they're jumping on this fight and this this organizing opportunity. Um, but, yeah, I, some of the outside interest is a little annoying. I'm going to say that not <laughs> not like not what you guys are doing reporting on this. I, this has been a great conversation. But like, I'm getting flyers from like Shama Sawant <laughs> saying, or I'm getting email from Shama Sawant saying what like a sellout this contract <laughs> is, or like, you know, th- tens of thousands of workers will be left behind by this leadership. And I'm like, it just feels weird. They have like three Teamsters sign on to this email blast that they do. And it's like, I don't like, I feel like you need to talk to more rank and file members than just three people you want to put on, put on the face of your like sort of, uh, nuclear assault on this contract. Mm -hmm. I don't believe this contract calls for that level of opposition. And I feel like, especially when we do have a leadership that I think is, uh, receptive to, to rank and file members. And we're dealing with 340,000, you know, thousand people to vote on this. Um, so it is a little weird to see people who don't maybe have the context for this, you know, decades long fight, like how much better this leadership demonstrably and objectively is than previous leadership coming in and telling us how, how fucked over we are. Um, well, it sounds I don't like quite, you might, quite appreciate that. You might have to meet with Socialist Alternative, and they're going to give you some political education about <laughs> the limits of your trade union consciousness. And I hope you'll be receptive well, to that. No, I think, I think honestly, the best thing you could do. Well, there's two things you could do. The first thing you can do is run against Sawant. Uh, under the socialist alternative alternative party, right, and then overthrow her, and then you can get a rank and father, you know, uh, worker in there in city council, which would be great. And the other thing you can do is well, what? I think, our- sorry, I think if you overthrow her right now, you just become another podcaster because <laughs> she's she's not she's not running running for re-election. Oh council. shit! Well, I mean, your podcast is probably more popular than hers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. The other th- the other thing that you can do is what uh is what our friends uh World Socialist uh website 
uh, says all the time, which is start international rank and file strike committees inside of your local and build uh, grassroots working class. There's like mm-hmm. there's like these two sides of like of like uh, far leftism uh, as it relates to labor over the last like I don't know decades or whatever. And the one is like the Sawant, so like socialist alternative, like Cassandra, sort of like the the sky is falling in. We have to like strike, 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 and do whatever we can to like fight back, no matter what the conditions are, as you understand them on the ground and other people understand them, or even leadership understands them. And then there's like the other segment, which is all about um, building like um, living bodies, like organic bodies of like rank and file and working class power. Uh, within the unions in order to try to like maintain the sort of momentum and the organizational capacity necessary to turn a single contract negotiation, a single contract fight into something not just longer lasting within your shop or within your industry or sector, but of course overflowing those bounds too and becoming something more broadly attuned to like the needs of working class struggle. So I, I fall in with the WSWS.org people with that, and I wonder maybe as a parting shot about what you think uh, should be done and can be done so that... To the, defend Woody Allen. To defend Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, to, to last the next uh, five years in between contracts so that uh, Teamsters and others can come out f- swinging even harder next time. Yeah, I, I think this uh, this contract vote is going to be a, a real test because, yeah, again, like I'm I'm going to vote no, but I don't know that we have the organizing steam anymore or the energy anymore to launch our most competent strike at this point. Um, that's not to say that any strike wouldn't be effective, um, but I I feel like maybe that ship has sailed for this contract to be honest um but there's so many so many more clawbacks to happen or that that we can aim for uh per, you know wage progression is another one getting part-timer pay even higher is obviously another one um i am a firm believer that working class organization is the only way to get us even close to out of this mess that we're, that we're in as a, as a society. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't know how that, ha- how that happens. I don't have enough theory or history under my belt to know how like organized working people within a union can, uh, more, you know, like a, what a general strike. Like, I think we're talking a little more granular than, than something like that, at least working up to there. But yeah, you can't have a general strike without, uh, an actual strike beforehand. Yeah. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, for sure. No, I think this is an ongoing discussion. I mean, I don't know. What do you? What do you guys in in this Teamster contract? Twenty five and out or thirty and out? Retirement. I think. I think the base pay for part timers should be at least twenty five, and that's been the the sort of rallying cry. I think it's good that we got it up to twenty five by the end of this contract for everybody hired before this contract, but. For new hires, it's just 21 to start and then 23 by the end of the contract. So I think we, I think 25 is perfectly reasonable, uh, if not still pretty low. I, th- I think if you're doing 60% of the labor for a multi-billion dollar company, you should be making like 30 bucks an hour, even if you are part-time. You're okay. doing that labor for four hours. You should be making a living wage off of these, yeah, like fat cats and ghouls, you know, like we we made that money. If you don't think mm-hmm. part timers 
deserve or have earned $30 an hour, you're essentially saying that the shareholders have earned that money instead, right. which I don't, I don't think many working people would actually say. So there, there's a lot of really good discussion and arguments happening between full-timers and part-timers. That's, we didn't really talk about that in this episode, but that's like, that's one of the most inspiring things. And one of the most, the areas with the most potential that, uh, and, and like a problem that has to be rectified within the union because the so I don't I don't know what it's called but the like it's it's almost like a two tier system in and of itself the the full time employees against the part time employees and that's a hurdle that has to be that will only be overcome with class consciousness yes. you know and yeah. maybe maybe they don't these these workers maybe they won't think of it as class consciousness but just a general solidarity with people in the union with with their teamster siblings and i think that's that's enough to you know approximate something like class consciousness and you are seeing so much more goodwill towards part-timers from full-timers it could be better and i'm so I, my heart goes out to part-timers who get talked down to by full-time employees saying we all been there you know, you got to, I had to suffer, you got to suffer, or if you don't like it, go somewhere else. I see that shit all, all the time online. And it's like, bro, you're part of a union that is actively arguing for better conditions for you. Yeah. Why would you ever suggest that nobody else in the union should also get that treatment? So 100%. we're seeing a lot of productive, I think, arguments taking place in, in the public sphere and in, you know, in, in the workplace that will bring us together as a union, make us stronger as a union and sort of fight back against the like ambient, uh, classism, the ambient temporarily embarrassed CEO of UPS mindset that a lot of these wage earners seem to seem to have. Um, and that's, that's, I think the short term big hurdle that we're, that we can, uh, and are getting over. Well, speaking of, of coming together, maybe not as rank and file teamster workers, but as podcasters, rank and file podcasters, rank and file podcaster <laughs> meeting Congress of the rank and file podcasters and their uh, the strike committee international. Yeah. We are we are going to have an East Coast Congress. We're um, going to have a Congress September tenth in New York, and hopefully, hopefully it's not too early to say September twelfth in, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the the city of brotherly love. So book your tickets yeah. now. Uh, churn your credit cards and get air miles and come hang out with uh, Antifada and Minion Death Cults and Pod Damn America and, and Well There's Your Problem. And yeah. probably some other podcast friends will be here probably. September 10th and September 12th. Yeah, we'll have some people come through. So if you're a listener we'll out there more details, who remembers here. fondly our live show from like three, four years ago, yeah, we're running that back. We're going to do it again <laughs> and it's going to be great. Yeah, it's, uh, I want to clarify, it's not an actual conference uh it, it will be entertaining <laughs> how shitty be... would that be if we invited people and they like sat down around a table and we're like in the year 1934 jimmy frank, hoffa said there's a there's a labor crisis in america today <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah we're super excited i've actually never been to new york whoa what? so what? i'm excited to visit visit you guys visit my buds out in new york have you guys you know let's all go to times square i think <laughs> Let's all go to Dime Square. Yeah, we're not Full supposed to talk circle. about. We're going to steer clear of that square. We are going to Times Square only. We're, well, we'll do. We'll take you to the M M&M and M store, man. It'll be lovely. <laughs> we'll take pictures for the listeners. 
<laughs> yeah, but we're we're booked September 10th at uh, Littlefield in Brooklyn with you guys and Pod Damn America will do a, an opening set, and we're uh, super excited about that. We don't have ticket links yet, um, but we are working on like poster artwork and that sort of thing. So keep that date open, September yeah, yeah. 10th, Sunday, September 10th, and watch Your this sex. space and and listen to Menion Death Cult like every week. You should. It's probably one of the best shows out there. Oh, thank you. Uh, you have some time to stick around and talk a little bit about the persuaders and uh, some of the anti-union stuff going on. Oh yeah, I, I barely saw the uh, somebody trying to stick up for their job of of breaking yeah, yeah. unions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk about that behind let's the talk paywall if you have some time. Yeah, cool. All right, uh, all see right. you guys on the other side. Uh, Patreon.com/slash the Antifada. Check out that and all of our excellent bonus content. After this, Andy and I are going to pick up. The weighty tome, the important document known as Settlers, the Mythology of the White Proletariat from Mayflower to Modern by Jay Sakai. Mm-hmm. So you can get access to that, too. Find out about how the Teamsters are actually evil. <laughs> See you on the other side. Beautiful Teamsters, I'll pay the dues. Give me the news that I'm not one of yous. Crossing state lines with no opposition. Thanks to the Interstate Commerce Commission. Driving through sleet and blizzard and shower. Blocking each street at the peak of rush hour. Tossing big boxes in...